And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves opening days for baseball. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, I'll tell you, we are today. I am, and Colonel Jeff is, and uh, one of my dogs, Ozzy, is. All right, and Maggie is in her pantry, by the way. And I'm whispering for a very special reason. I don't know why. I don't know what the reason is. And there's no reason, actually, to whisper. But Maggie, God bless her, is uh, is someone who can cut loose around the house with her bowel movements. And so can I. But I blame it on the dogs. See, that's the clever way to live in a marriage. But you know what? Everything is dandy here. And uh, we are on Milleronia. I love to be here. But we're here, well, under uh, special circumstances in a way. Colonel Jeff could not get to the island of Milleronia for our show here in the studio in his usual way, which is three helicopter rides, never mind where, but it takes three helicopter rides. And it could take four, but we can do it in three. And the third one scares him a little which is a plus in a way here on Milleronia. We live with fear. And <laughs> you know what, though? He couldn't take the three helicopters today because I know this, by the way, there were reports of a giant radioactive chipmunk. And those reports were blamed for the helicopter service going down. Well, that's baloney. There was no giant radioactive chipmunk. It was a possum. That's the fact. That's the truth. Now, there are giant chipmunks on Milleronia too. I have made those as well. I made the giant possum, and I made, my scientists did, but it was my design. And there are giant chipmunks. I made those too. Same scientists, same design. But it was not the chipmunks that kept him, you know, uh, the helicopters being down. It was just they were, well, back in the shop. You know, we have the, we take care of them. We take, we want them in perfect shape. And they are. They're just, you know, they're, they're as beautiful as they could be. But Colonel Jeff instead, uh, came here in a jetpack. He, not the whole way. He flew in a jetpack. Because we got him one of those. And those are the kind of things that we all thought would be fun to have on. You know, you strap those on and the jetpacks are coming off your back there. And uh, I was wondering why people never got burned on certain parts of their bodies that come out the back as well. But uh, Colonel Jeff flew a long way uh, west out into the ocean, out into the Pacific with that jetpack. But then he radioed us that he had about had it and he would like to be picked up in some other fashion. And sure enough, because we cared deeply about him, we responded to him around the seventh or eighth time he radioed for help, wasn't it? Yeah, he was getting 
frankly, a little desperate. And at that point, I had our military send out one of our fighter jets. And they, well, they hovered at high speed. I guess that's not hovering then if you're at high speed. But below him then, and he popped out of the jetpack and fell right into the cargo spot that we have in every fighter jet which with a very comfy, lazy boy chair. Who do you think that's for normally? But at any rate, he did. He got in there, and boy, folks, we flew him. That jet, that jet went, and it goes very, very fast. I think it's Mach 4 now, which is a pretty good speed. And, uh, and we always ask the colonel to put on his blindfold so he doesn't know where he's going, and he always does. Put it on with just a small fight, and he's at the point where they'll arm wrestle for it. But he he always, even though he's a, he, he's a game player, he, he always loses to either the navigator or the bombardier. But at any rate, uh, that's how he got here now. And uh, don't you worry, the giant chipmunks are in a part of Milleronia only visible from the top of the volcanoes. And the same thing with the giant possums. Boy, they're big. And you know what? I, this, this I do want to whisper. They're big and possum, not a beautiful creature. They're just not what you call a pretty animal. And uh, in fact, back on the mainland, our dog, Norman, uh, well, treed a possum. I mean, he got not in a tree, but he uh, he tore out of the front door when we were getting a pizza delivery one night. He tore and it was still light out. It was around 7 o'clock of a summer's night, and he just tore out. And uh, he, God bless him, he's always a good boy. But I knew that meant he, was, he had smelled something, and it was a possum. And it was a regular-sized possum. It was at our neighbor's house just up the block from us. And he went there, and he just leapt on that possum. And I mean leapt, and he had his jaw open, and he got that possum around the throat, and he killed it. I mean, he just... And he killed it. And that thing, well, dropped like a possum. And you know what? And then Ozzy had killed it and, you know, backed off. And he was looking at it. And his nose, he was smelling it. And just, boy, and he backed off some more. And then he came back to me. And I said, holy mackerel. Boy, that's what a dog does. You're an official dog now. And uh, so... We looked at the possum. The, the, our neighbors weren't home. They were off on uh, a weekend somewhere, we found out. A possum weekend, turns out, <laughs> celebrating the possum. But no, they were away. So I went back to the house uh, with Norman, and we went in there, and uh, and we called. Uh, my wife was there and our kids, and the, we we called the animal control people. Uh, in Los Angeles, and not right away. We had our pizza first, but after all, good pizza, and it was our dinner. So we had pizza, and we told some funny stories, and uh, then we did well the normal after meal thing where we arm wrestle over scorpions, and that may sound a little cruel, but well, it it, it motivates you to not get brought down on top of the scorpion. Because that, well, that will kill you. Just ask the scorpion. That's what he's there for. 
And then we called the animal people. Folks, you know, they came up and they said, the way the possum, I said, it's on our neighbor's doorstep. They said, well, you better check. I said, better check. It's still light out. And I, I, I walked up the block. Do you know what? The possum was not there. It was gone. And I had my mouth, my mouth fell open and I, I realized, how do you like that? And I went back to the phone and I, I had this in my head already. He was playing possum. You know that old phrase? Well, looks like he's playing possum. Norman didn't kill him. He pretended Norman killed him, which puzzled Norman. Norman had him by the throat there, and he's just shaking him. And then he died, in quotes, the possum, and he just went limp on the stoop there of our neighbor. Well, how do you like that? He was playing possum. And we walked away back to house, you know, back to the house to eat our pizza and call the animal people. But as soon as we walked away and closed the door, he stood up and trotted away himself. And he went to get his own dinner. At any rate, though, uh, that's why I was so affectionate for possums at that point. I decided someday I'll make them gigantic. Uh, in any case, though, that's a little housekeeping report that we have for you. And, uh, Time to compliment the band. And, you know, I love doing that because I just, I just love them. I, this is the Anna Marie Duke Orchestra and the Kitty Genovese Dancers featuring boy tenor Sean Reardon asking the musical question, if James Bond is an international spy, then why does he give out his real name? That's probably why everyone seems to know who he is. Well, Sean... Heck of a question. Good question. Good for you. Good for your head. Good for your brain. But the answer to this is simple. Yes, James Bond is an international spy, and he was from the first. And why does he give out his real name? Well, Sean, did you ever hear him say his name to a beautiful countess at the Baccarat table? And then, well, they have one drink together and go up to his suite. And it's pretty sweet. But <laughs> you know why? That's why. That's why when he does that, when he put that in Dr. No was the first time. I've mentioned this before, but I love it. When Sean Connery puts a cigarette in his mouth and just, you know, rotates those panther eyes over to the, to the countess. And she, after she asks who he is, and he says, oh boy, that's the first time. Bond, James Bond, but he says it in a way no one can ever imitate. Bond, James Bond, boy, oh boy. I mean, and that countess, well, that was it for her. And she, she was down for the count. But, Sean, that's why. He's an international spy. Why does he give out his real name? And if you say, you mean just for women he meets, just to get women up to his suite in the hotel... And make love with them? Yes, that's that's it. And if you need a better reason than that, I'm afraid, Sean, you and I need to have a chat. And yes, that's probably why everyone seems to know who he is. You are right with that. But that's why everyone knows. So that whatever he says, what we all know, Bond, James Bond. Always saying the last name first. 
Holy mackerel, folks. If you're within 25 feet, you better head for the hills. You better run, because that is that. If you hear it, and you're a woman, and you're beautiful, well, he's got you with the name. Good question, though, Sean. And by the way, I mentioned the Kitty Genovese dancers, and it's worth telling her story. She was, God bless her, she was killed and uh, murdered when she was 28 years old in 1964. And the reason I'm mentioning her now is the man who murdered her, and I'm not going to say his name because he doesn't deserve it. He just died in prison. He's been in prison the whole time. And this became a very famous case. If you're listening out there and you don't know the name Kitty Genovese, well, you will now. We studied she was so well known from this terrible incident that we studied her and and all the events that took place in psychology class in college. And I think every college did that. Because Kitty Genovese was, as I said, 28 years old, and she was a very attractive young woman. And this is in New York. And she was the manager of a local bar, and she was walking home one night. And this fella came up to her and attacked her. Now, this is right in the street, right where cars and cabs are going by. And he attacked her and started killing her. He had a big knife and he started slashing and stabbing her and she was screaming for help and he didn't kill her right away. This went on and on and she was screaming for help. And folks, this is what made it an interesting story to study for psychology. No one helped. Everyone heard her. Everyone in the apartments all around there for blocks away heard her screaming for help. And everyone in all the stores that were all around there heard her screaming for help and screaming. And folks, this guy kept stabbing her. And I mean again and again and again. And she's still screaming for help. No one called the police. No one came out with a baseball bat and said, hey, get out of here. No one did anything. And that's why it was worth studying. And by the way, that's not the end of it. This guy got tired of stabbing her. She still wasn't dead. And she's hanging on to a lamppost. And he said, well, he's had enough. And he leaves. He walks away. And then comes back and starts stabbing her again. And she's still screaming for help again. And no one is calling anyone or coming to help again. It happened a third time. He got full of it and tired again. He said, that's enough. He goes away again and comes back again. And now she's screaming again, help me, help me, help me. And no one did. And that's why it's worth mentioning, Kitty, God bless you. I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry that was your end. And I'm sorry those people didn't come running out. 
We listen to that, folks, don't we? We actually think, what would I do? You see, this was before you could call 911, and this is one of the this happening and this story going around, and how would it not go around for poor Kitty Genovese and what, and, and what happened to her? Well, that was one of the reasons 911 came into being a thing to do in New York and then every city. You dial 911 for the police, for emergency. But we think of that. You and I think of that. What would I do? You know what you'd do. I know what I'd do. I would call before 911. I would call the operator number one and just report it yelling. Just There's a woman being stabbed and killed right at our building here, right on the block. And we're on whatever the street was, 17th Street in Manhattan, whatever it is. And then would we go out with a baseball bat? Or a pot and pan, one of those big iron pans that weighs about 15 pounds? Yes. Yes, we would. I would. And you would, too. Now, I'm not so tough. Well, I am, yeah. But actually, I'm, I'm very tough. No, I mean, you and I aren't tough people. We're not, well, Bond, James Bond. But we would, I mean, we would say a quick prayer and we would go out there, and we would look for other fellas, and, you know, out there on the street, say, come on, let's stop this guy now. And I'd go out there with the frying pan, and and you see, he's stabbing a good Lord, and you just hit him in the head, hit him in the head as many times as he stabbed her. Is it because we're brave and tough? No, it's because don't you have to do something? Would you and I be the ones who didn't call and didn't go out and just sat there pretending nothing was happening? I hope we wouldn't. And I know we wouldn't. You wouldn't do that, and I wouldn't do that. And Kitty, I'm sorry folks didn't do it in your day when you were 28 years old. And that's why I mentioned her today. It's worth saying again, boy, you know what? Poor Kitty Genovese. And maybe, maybe the folks in the neighborhood and in every other city in America and town as well, but all over our country, maybe today they'd call for the police and go out there with a frying pan. Well, it's important to say her name and say a little prayer, but now it's time for... Oh, boy, that's it's time for the five FECTA update. That's right. And that was Colonel Jeff's sound effect for this, because you see, that's uh, you got the the bugle sounding there for charge. Isn't that charge? And then the water sound uh, because of what again? Why was the water sound in there? Oh, right. Because of the five FECTA. He wanted the water sound in there. Because the five fecta is about soap. It's about soap chips. It's about what we do with our soap chips. And I talked about on this show, well, the five fecta, you know, a couple of years ago. Because the, the idea was that the perfect number of soap chips to have was five. And that's what made it perfect. Or f uh, that's what made it a fecta. And you know what? I had some great bars of soap and we put the pictures of them 
on, well, on the website. And, uh, hey, I got that right. And, uh, and you know what, though? I was looking forward to doing it again. I had so many soap chips, 30, 35 of them. And, uh, they were in our shower here, you know, not on, not on Meloronia, but the one on the mainland back at our house. And I kept saying to myself, you know, that's a lot of soap chips. It was in the shower and the, on the little tray there that the one above it holds the shampoo and a regular piece of soap. And this one had, well, it was full of chips. And I said, it's about time for the last couple of weeks. I was saying to myself, it's, it's about time. I was going to ask, someone wrote in, and I was going to ask for some of you folks to write in again about what to do, what the process is, how I melt the chips and make a big bar out of them. This would have made a big bar. This would have made enough for a bar. I mean, it could have been a bar. It could have been happy hour at a bar. But you know what? As I didn't, I didn't. I got lazy and stupid. And it was more than a couple of weeks. It was a couple of months that I kept thinking, Time to get rid of the soap chips. And then my wife beat me to it. God bless her. She threw out the soap chips. I came back from a road trip. And it was a short trip, just a day or two. And I got in the shower to wash the road off me. And I looked at that tray and went, holy mackerel. What in the world? Where are the chips? Where are those 35 chips? Well, they're gone now. And again, I must say, and it's not her fault. She was tired of looking at them. It's my fault because I never put myself together and finally got off my butt and cleaned out the chips and started figuring out how to melt them into a bar so big. Well, it could have been an Edsel. But you know what? That's the update on the five FECTA. So let's just hear Jeff's theme one more time. <laughs> so we charge because of the bugle. We charge into getting the soap chips. Sure, I wish I'd heard that. Then they wouldn't be gone. And we charge into getting the soap chips. And then shortly after that, we can all jump in the pool or in the ocean or whatever that is. It's very good stuff. And by Amazon and PayPal and my book. That's right. Amazon's still the greatest company to me in the world because they do three things no other company can do. One, whatever you want, you can get. Two, whatever you can imagine, you can get. They already have it. They don't even have to make it or go buy it. They have it in the gigantic warehouse that holds everything in the world that gets made. And they already have it. And three, and this is the most important, they send us here at the show a percent of everything you order. Whatever you get, they give us part of that. And Colonel Jeff and I take that money and immediately put it into our cash box to save for our next big fancy fried chicken dinner with two drinks beforehand in another place. And we had a great time last time, a few months ago. That was our second time getting a big fancy fried chicken dinner. And, yes, we called Dr. Chris, and he came over from his studies 
and uh, studying clog making and clog dancing at the University of Solvang, which is a real place. I don't know why, but it is. And uh, so Colonel Jeff and Dr. Chris and I went to oh, Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles. That's at Gower and Sunset Boulevard, right on the corner there, the northeast corner of Gower and Sunset Boulevard. It's not the exact corner. I think there's a gas station on the corner. And then just past the gas station, folks, they are not a sponsor, but I want to say that name again, Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles. If that's what you're looking for, and I'm telling you, there are some times when that's just what you want. That place is never empty. It's sometimes lightly filled, and I know that because I went there yesterday. I went to the House of Chicken and Waffles. I was passing there, and I'll tell you how and why in a little, little, little later, And I, uh, because I just thought to myself, well, what can one piece of chicken hurt? I mean, I don't want the entire meal with the gravy and, uh, well, the grits and the big, and everything's homemade, like the biscuits and that great chicken and a great waffle, which is, oh, those are big waffles, like an Escalade's tire, and they're big. But I'm telling you what, there's a story about that, and I'll come to it in just in just a little bit. But you know what? If you're looking to save money or spend money at Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles, Amazon can help you with that, too. Now well, they can help with everything. So you know what? Call Amazon, go there on your computer, or don't be silly. Don't be dumb. Don't go there yourself. Don't say, I'll open my computer now. Or I'll open my iPhone now. Don't do that. We can do it for you. Here, all you have to do, we have a banner on our website. And the address for that is uh, LarryMillerPodcast.com. And the answer to the, if your question is, why haven't you learned that yet? It's your own name. It's your own show. Why can't you just, well, I haven't. And apparently I can't. So... The, the pod, yes, it's Larry Miller Podcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> I, I still love that saxophone note that he hits there. It's horrifying and uh, it's, it's not pleasant at all, but I love it still. So, uh, <laughs> you go to our website. LarryMillerPodcast.com, and we have a banner that says Amazon. That's the point. You click our banner, and we'll take you to Amazon. You go take a nap after that. Click the banner. Go lie down in your big lazy boy chair. Put a magazine over your head. Tilt it back. Not the magazine, the chair. And you go to sleep. And Colonel Jeff and I will wake up if you do it in the middle of the night, and we will go to the studio, and we will get you to Amazon no matter what. And uh, thank you, Amazon, for sending us the dough. We'll let you know when the next time we have our next big fancy fried chicken dinner with two drinks beforehand in a different place. We'll let you know when the next time is. And yes, we might, might, might call Dr. Chris again. That's not a certainty. And uh, it's all up to me and the colonel. And he's in no danger of going to a volcano. Although, you know what? 
No, he's in no danger there. We might, we may, we might. Call him again for this next end of the third one. And by PayPal. That's right. Still the greatest group, PayPal. What a great company makes you feel like you're saving the world. And maybe you are. And you know what? If you enjoy the show here, the Larry Miller Show, and why wouldn't you? And would you like to send us a few bucks to help out? And why wouldn't you? You can do it through PayPal. But instead of saying, I don't like phrases like donate or pay what you like or maybe you can join the Platinum Committee. I, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of things like that. But I always like to say, buy us some drinks. That's right. If you, if you want to donate something, buy us some drinks. Because there are different levels. Levels one through five, all the way up to... We're driving to Florida! I think they were especially cheerful today for that. And you know what? Look for the PayPal banner on our website. Again, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. (laughs) Is it a good sign or a bad sign that sounds like that are just funny to us? It's... Colonel Jeff think it's a, he thinks it's a good sign. Well, I'm open. <laughs> Let me just say that. I think it's a good sign, too. It makes me laugh. But I'm open to someone saying, you know what? It's just plain dumb, <laughs> which is fine with me, too. But uh, thank you in advance, because every little bit helps us keep the old leg lamp lit here. And thank you to everyone who has contributed already. It uh, makes a big difference here to us. And thank you to those who are going to contribute right now. And uh, that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. Yes, the joke, and it's still wonderful. It's important to always remember, a good joke makes me feel so good, and it makes you feel good too. And if it's good enough that you like it, well, you can pass it along to your your loved ones, or one of your friends, and it's a great thing to do with jokes, and it's a great thing to do here on the show. I love it. So here's the joke of the week uh, this time. Colonel Jeff and I both liked this one. There's an old man walking down the street, and he's had a few too many drinks. In fact, he's loaded. This is not a little tipsy. He's not just catching his breath. He's three sheets to the wind, and he's going down the big city street, And uh, he's, well, he sees up ahead there's a church. And it's not like him, and he's never done this, but he he decides to go in the church. And he's staggering, but he he staggers in the giant doors, and he's, well, he's there in the sanctuary, and he staggers, and he sees in the back and on the left, there's, the the, well, the confessional booths. And he goes right to that, with a time for swaggering and staggering, and he sits down and one plops down into his side there and just plops down and oh and that's it doesn't doesn't say a thing and uh after well thirty seconds or a minute the the priest on the other side uh just politely clears his throat a few times <clears throat> just to let him know well the priest is here. So there's no need to wait for anything. And 
He tries that a couple of times, clearing his throat. Nothing. It does nothing. Guy doesn't say a thing. And then, uh, well, after another big break, the priest just leans over, reaches his hand out to the separation there, to the wall, and knocks on it. Just tank, 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 tank. And uh, the old man uh, says, no use knocking. There's no paper on this side either. <laughs> I hope you like that. The colonel and I do, and we both got a laugh out of that. So it turns out now he wasn't going for a confession, turns out, at all, was he? Well, I love that. I love jokes that fool you a little bit. And that's one of them. No use knocking. There's no paper on this side either. Well, uh, thank you, folks. Pass that on if you like it. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show. The Poetry Corner. nice. It's like the priest and the old man. The priest is the string quartet and the old man is the guy coughing. <laughs> In any case, though, you know what? This is a lovely poem called A Song of Eternity in Time by Sidney Lanier. And here it is. Once at night in the manor wood my love and I long silent stood, amazed that any heavens could decree to part us, bitterly repining. My love in aimless love and grief reached forth and drew aside a leaf that just above us played the thief and stole our starlight that for us was shining. A star that had remarked her pain shone straightway down that leafy lane and wrought his image mirror plain. Within a tear that on her lash hung gleaming, Thus time, I cried, is but a tear. Someone hath wept twixt hope and fear. Yet in his little lucent sphere, our star of stars, eternity is beaming. Isn't that nice? Another, if the question again is, wow, where are the good love poems? There's one of them. A Song of Eternity and Time by Sidney Lanier. And uh, Mr. Lanier, by the way, lived from 1842 to 1881. He was born in Macon, Georgia, fought in the Civil War for the South, also worked on ships running blockades, and was captured and contracted tuberculosis while in prison, suffered from that his whole life. He wrote poetry to help support his family and later became a faculty member at Johns Hopkins University. Well, Sidney... This one we just read, A Song of Eternity and Time, is a good one. Thank you for bringing it to us. And now for my third favorite part of the show. M-M-M, 
Triple M, the magic movie moment. Well, we have a great movie for you today. And uh, you'll see why, and I'll tell you why. It's from 1962, The Miracle Worker, written by William Gibson. And the screenplay was also written by William Gibson. He wrote it first as a play. And it was directed on uh, directed by Arthur Penn, starring Anne Bancroft, and also starring the young woman who starred in it on Broadway. And she was now starring in the movie, too, at 16 years old. And that is, by the way, and she won an Oscar for that role at 16 years old, folks. And that, of course, was the great... Anna Marie Duke. And that's with a small smile. I, I say that too because that name was changed to Patty Duke. And Patty Duke was not only, God bless her, such a great actress and well was known also for the Patty Duke show on TV, which was a wonderful show. It's a terrific show. It was in black and white. Uh, then now, uh, and she played. I'm just trying to think of the words into the the song there, and uh, she played the two lead parts. And Colonel Jeff was saying before she was such a great actress, he didn't even know when he was watching it as a kid that it was one actress playing two parts. And Patty Duke, the great actress, was uh, playing not only well herself as the daughter of a family in Queens. I think they were. And I think her father was William Shallert, another great actor. And uh, boy, oh boy. And she was uh, playing her cousin, Kathy, as well. And Kathy was from Scotland and was very elegant and very sophisticated. And uh, well, and Kathy, here's one of the parts of the, 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 the lyrics from the theme song. While, oh, Kathy adores a string quartet, the ballet Russe. And crepe Suzette. But Patty loves to rock and roll. A hot dog makes her lose control. What a wild duet. But they're cousins. Identical cousins. And you'll find they walk alike. They talk alike. At times they even bark alike. No, they're not baseball players. I, was just, I couldn't remember the third awk rhyme there. They walk alike. They talk alike. But it was a terrific show. And she was so good in it. What a good lyric, too, there. Kathy adores a string quartet, the ballet, Russe, and crepe Suzette. Well, I guess those are, those are three pretty good things. But Pat, well, Patty, well, Patty loves to rock and roll. A hot dog makes her lose control. What a wild duet. And they were. And you know what? Well, Anna Marie's name was changed to Patty. She had a terrible childhood. And this was part of of a biography she wrote, an autobiography of herself called Call Me Anna. Her parents, well, were terrible people. They uh, were drunks and drug addicts, and they just didn't give her to, they tossed her to this other couple in New York. Uh, oh, I have the obituary here. But uh, their name was Ross, and they... Uh, Patty began to live with them in their apartment, and they were very cruel to her. And they changed her name just right off the bat to Patty. 
Now you're going to be Patty, Patty Duke. And she began to audition. Can you imagine this? She gets a part in a Broadway show at that age, at 10 years old, 11 years old, and is the star of it or wins the awards from that and then is cast as the star of the movie of it and wins an Academy Award of it. And she began to discover, well, she had a bipolar disorder, which wasn't even known in those days. She was very, very unwell. And uh, it was way beyond even the phrase manic depression. And she didn't quite know what to do or how, how love worked. And God bless her, she, she got through. Can you imagine at those ages doing all this work and the people who were her, well, her foster parents took all her money, all of it, every penny, and they wouldn't let her see any of the shows on, by the way. They didn't let her watch her own TV show. And it was it was all nuts. And she found love in the great, uh, well, a number of folks, but uh, the great John Aston, who played Gomez in, uh, well, maybe the best uh, TV show ever, The Addams Family. And uh, what a good actor he was. And, uh, and she had two sons, Sean Aston and Mackenzie Aston, and I've worked with them both in a very good movie called The Final Season. And Sean, as you know, as you as you ought to know, he played. Uh, he was in the the, uh, the Tolkien movie, the Hobbit movies, and uh, played Samwise, right? And uh, but what a great actor! And also in the movie Rudy, about the young football player wants to be a football player at Notre Dame. He's a great actor, and I got. Enjoyed getting knowing him so much. And, well, this was just a way to more than mention Patty Duke, the great Patty Duke. I'm going to go out and get her book, Call Me Anna. And I'd like to know what she thought. And written, by the way, with another great man, Kenneth Turan, a movie critic from the Los Angeles Times, who wrote this obituary. That is on my desk right now. And you know what, folks? It's a good moment to say, Patty, God bless you. And uh, as Anna, you'll always be Anna to me now. But you'll always be Patty Duke as well, because I loved you in everything you did. And I love your sons. It makes you feel good to make a gesture like that not just the person you're remembering with fondness. And this movie, The Miracle Worker, has so much fondness in it. It's a beautiful movie. If you haven't seen it, see it. Victor Joria, great actor, plays her her father. And Inga Swenson plays her mother. They're terrific in it. And there's a scene in it that always meant a lot to me and became perfect, I thought, for today's magic movie moment. Her teacher is Annie Sullivan in the movie, and that's played by, well, the great Anne Bancroft. And she's wonderful in this. And, uh, and she herself is, uh, they, her father 
that is Helen Keller's father. It's amazing to think of this. This is a story about Helen Keller. It's about the Civil War days and the times after that and what she became and how she became anything and to who taught her to even communicate. She was, Helen Keller was blinded and deafened as a baby. So she really didn't know how to communicate at all. And now as a young woman in this part, uh, you know, in the movie, as Helen Keller, her her parents finally, the father calls a, a place, a, a school for the deaf, a school for the blind. And they send down what he called a, a half-blind Yankee schoolgirl named Annie Sullivan. That was that was Anne Bancroft's part, and uh, it's a beautiful movie. And folks, at one time, the parents are getting a little annoyed. Annie Sullivan is living with them, and every day she gets together with Helen and spends the whole day teaching, trying to teach her, trying to find out how to communicate with her, trying to get her to do anything, to realize because she can't hear and she can't see so that she could feel water. I remember giving her water, that, and she would splash it on her face with her hand a little bit, and then hold her hand and motion with the signs for the deaf about how to spell water. And over and over and over again, and the parents at one point, and it, nothing is working. It's really, they can't see any change. Days, weeks, months go by, and they're getting hurt and mad at what this Annie Sullivan is or isn't doing with their daughter. And that's the word uh, Victor Joy uses as the father. It's ineffectual. It's ineffectual. And at one point, Anne Bancroft says to them after one of the days here, and she takes out, there's uh, from her purse, a folded napkin. And she says to them, she folded this today. And you know, and I know from watching the movie, that this is a huge thing. It's, it's, a, it's more than a breakthrough. It's a breakthrough of spirit, of, of God, of life, of everything. She got her to know what it meant and to do it, to fold a napkin. And the parents don't know quite how to take that. The mother is more moved than the father, and the mother and the father are saying later that uh, to themselves they're having kind of a, a discussion, an argument about this. And the father, and the father says again, you know, what what's she doing? It's not, it's, it's ineffectual about it. She's not getting her in anyone. And, the, and then the mother says, she folded a napkin, Captain. He's a captain in the army, you see, and uh, and he said, well, what's that? I don't understand the, the point of this. You're missing the point of... She folded a napkin, Captain. And he said, so that's not, why is that, that a big deal? And the wife says to him, it's more than you did today, Captain. And that's meant sweetly. And it's meant in a very moving way. And that's how we take it. And that's why, well, that folded napkin is a magic movie moment for me. And especially that great line, it's more than you did today, Captain. Well, that's a little shot a wife can send into a husband there. It's a great movie, folks. Please see The Miracle Worker someday. If you haven't seen it, The Miracle Worker. 
Directed by Arthur Penn, written by William Gibson, starring Anne Bancroft, Patty Duke, Victor Jory, and so many others, including, well, again, Anne Bancroft and Patty Duke, though, as these two working together is really worth it. And thank you, Patty, for everything, especially your sons. You know, it's it's good to remember, though, that's why these memory movies are very important. Here's a memorial uh, that we set up for just a couple of days ago. Monday night, we set up, my friends and I, to have a memorial for Gary Shandling. And he was a friend of ours and still is a friend of ours. And we decided we were going to go to a very good uh, Italian restaurant called Dan Tanner's in West Hollywood. That's a very nice place. And it's oh, very well attended. The last time I was there, we had, and this is all folks you'd know, Seinfeld and Leno and uh, Reiser and and Bill Maher was there. And um, let's see, me and a couple other folks you'd know, Jimmy Brogan and Gary Shandling. That was the last time we were all there. There were seven or eight of us. And Gary was there. And then the idea came up, let's do it again. But, of course, Gary can't be there. But it will be a memorial from us to him. And that was Monday night at Dan Tanner's. And you know what, folks? I didn't go. I couldn't go. I wouldn't go. And you know why? I had a very good reason. And the reason is that that day, Monday, was opening season in San Diego for the Padres. And they were playing at home in San Diego against the Dodgers. And, well, I'm not a Padres fan and I'm not a Dodgers fan, but my wife had to work that day and couldn't go. And I drove down there with uh, our younger son. And uh, why would we do this, you think? Because our older son, I've told you this before, he's a Marine. And he was chosen to be one of the Marines who would hold the flag, our flag, in a ceremony before the game. It's one of those that we've seen all the time. You've seen it and I see it, where, well, a lot of Marines in their dress uniforms just unfurl a very big flag, and they're all stationed around the flag, but it's very big. It's sort of the size of the whole outfield anyway, and they pull it out and hold it up and wave it and uh, and hold on to it. And he was very proud to be chosen for that. And we were very proud with him. We found that out. And I, and I said to my wife and to our son, I said, uh, here, you know, why don't we go down there? You know, it's at that point, well, here we're here. We're living in the valley in Los Angeles. Why don't we go down there? And as I mentioned, my wife couldn't go. She had to work. So I went down with our other son. And you know what, folks? Number one, that's why I couldn't be at Gary's Memorial Dinner Monday night. I was at the Marriott Hotel in the Gas Lamp Quarter in San Diego, which is a nice place and just a block away from the stadium, from where the Padres were playing. You walk out of that hotel, and you just look up to your left, 
and you see the stadium is right there. It's it's about 90 steps away. And by the way, it almost seems like a science fiction movie. You look to your left, you see a whole stadium right there. You know, it's like an, it's like an absurd version of, if you build it, they will come. Well, we did. We came. We packed, and I drove down with my other son. And you know what, folks? Driving on a trip is much cooler, much more adventurous than flying or taking a train. I hope you know this, but you put your luggage in the trunk, and you get a couple of bottles of water in their little racks uh, in between the two front seats. And we had a wonderful drive together. And he could sleep a little bit. He's 17 now. He just became 17. But he could uh, snooze a little bit. And I love that. I love being, well, being the daddy who was driving down to San Diego to see my son, the Marine, hold the American flag. And uh, we got to the Marriott. Oh, we were in the room by about 12.30 or a quarter to one. And the game was at four. So we got in the room unpacked. And well, we uh, we hadn't eaten since 7.30 in the morning. So we decided to go get a lunch. And in the gas lamp quarter, it's a lot of restaurants. So we did that. My uh, second child and I just walked out the door and we didn't turn left to go to the stadium. We turned right just to go to where the restaurants are. We got a nice bite, and they had, well, all sorts of things playing, other baseball games in there, and it wasn't too loud. I'm not crazy about things that are too loud. And we had a nice bite, and then uh, walked back to the room and decided to go. My, you know, uh, I said, come on, let's get there early. The game's at four, but let's get there at two, you know, so we don't miss anything. And so we can sit there. It's a beautiful day out, and it was a beautiful day. And San Diego is a good city with good people. I know that sounds, you know, that you're just saying it. Oh, you know, it maybe just sounds like lip service to you, but it's true. It's a very good city with very good people. And their stadium is the same way. I'll give you an example of this. The, around the uh, fifth or sixth inning, I decided I wanted to get one of their hot dogs, one of their big sausages or something there. And, uh, we had very good seats my wife got for us on the uh, on the internet. We were on the Dodgers side, which was, uh, and we were behind the Dodgers dugout. It wasn't a side, by the way. And it's you know that's what they always say for these things. But there was no side. There was just uh, the, there's the Dodgers dugout, and we were eight or nine rows right behind the dugout there. Those are good seats. I mean, every baseball seat is a good seat. I've loved bleacher seats, and I hope you have too. And as, as uh, my my son, the Marines, said that he thought they were going to put them all, the Marines, up in what he called the cheap seats. And they did. After the uh, flag ceremony, they put them up in the upper right field, third level, fourth level, way on the corner, at the end of the whole level. You saw, well, a square of, you couldn't really miss it, they were far away, but you couldn't miss it. A whole square section of Marines with blue pants and khaki shirts and white hats. And what a good group they were. And I'll tell you, and I wanted to go out and get this uh, a hot dog or a sausage. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because they have lines there, and, and lines are fun. I've never uh, hated lines, but these were a little slow. 
And after about 10 or 15 minutes on the line there, and people were so nice. Everyone was nice there. And you know what? A woman came from behind the counter just to say, to say listen, everyone, listen. And everyone got quiet very quickly, polite people. And she wanted to let us know that they were now out of hot dogs and sausages. That may not sound like a lot to you, but I thought it was so nice of her to do that, to come out. A lot of other cities, well, I've been in so many other cities and ballparks, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with this, but I don't imagine someone in, well, New York or Chicago or Boston doing that. They'd keep working until you got up there another 20 minutes later, ordered your the big sausage on the big bun, and just had then someone might have said, we're all out of them. Oh, well, oh, well, why, but I'm, why was I standing there? So this lady was nice enough, and she'd been there a while. She was a veteran. She looked to be about 50 or 60 years old, and she didn't have a big stupid smile pasted on her face. She had just did this to be decent. And I said to her, as I started to walk away, everyone started to walk away, and I said to her, you know what? Thank you. That was, uh, you get a gold star for that today. You, you did your good deed for the day. And she smiled a little and said, oh, thank you. It's nothing really. And I said, it is. It really is. You're a good opening day woman here working for an opening day sausage stand. And thank you for letting us know. So that's that's a, a small way of explaining, yeah, it is a good city, and it it is good people. And you know what? They were a pleasure to watch a ball game with. My wife got us these great tickets, and I want to tell you just something about the opening ceremony there, because sometimes things get to you, and sometimes they don't. Well, this got to me. They had someone come out, and they were getting an award, But then, you know what, they and they now make this big announcement. The announcer says, and now the Marines, from they names the battalion, and uh, they're all infantry. And that means they're going to serve, by the way, in case you're interested. I am. And he mentioned they're going to unfurl the flag, and they did. And they held it there. And as I said before, I've seen that before, and you've seen it before, But I've never really looked at it before, and I will now, because I'll know what I knew then, that one of those Marines was my son, and now I can always see it when I see it on TV or at another ballpark, I'll know those Marines are somebody's sons, and I'm going to watch it now and stand up and do what they say, which is... What you should do, you know what? When they sing the Star-Spangled Banner, you take your cap off and put it over your heart. Now, who wouldn't do that? Why wouldn't we do that? And as they do that, four of our jets flew by in formation. They're supposed to, that was intentional. They weren't attacking us. They weren't, were they? <laughs> no, they they flew by in a beautiful formation And lo, and they went roaring over the stadium. And I mean roaring. Those things are loud. I I mean very, very loud. And so, you know, so loud, you really go, holy mackerel. 
And uh, wow, they're just beautiful. They they look so tough and beautiful. And uh, I'm in fact, it reminded me of uh, <laughs> when the Jets went over. I remembered P.J. O'Rourke wrote something in one of his books that he was on. He had asked to be a guest on a battleship. And as the battleship was out at sea, they fired uh, several missiles. And he said he was watching them, you know, go up, watching the drill and watching this get done. And he wrote that, uh, I don't know what it means to waste money, but if we have to waste money, this is the way to do it. And he was, I thought, well, that was funny and true. And that's what I thought when those jets went over, by the way. I thought, wow, I don't know what those things cost, but let's pay it. I'm I'm glad to... I mean, I would have surrendered to them right there. Just to have them go over like that, they're not attacking me. But I, I would think anyone in the world, here, I'm an American and I'm their guy. And they're my guys. But just having them go over like that, I would have thought, let's just surrender right now. Because uh, just seeing them and hearing that sound, we're done. <laughs> and I can't believe everyone doesn't think that way and just says, let's, that's it. And you know what, folks? When they sang and we sang and they said all veterans in the stadium, they told any uh, any folks who had, who had been in the armed forces and had served in a war, and they said to all the fellows there, you are allowed to salute while other patrons, please take your caps off and put them over your heart, which is what my son and I did. And, boy, I I agree, you know, that... Uh, and, the, and the poor Padres, by the way, didn't have a good game. But that's, you know, it was 15 to nothing. They had only just one hit, and then till late in the game, they had, well, they got a couple more. So they had three hits, and they had a couple of errors. And to be honest, they just didn't look good. And I'm not saying that to tease them. I'm saying, boy, you get a feeling in baseball that sometimes... The Dodgers looked good. They, well, they, I guess they have a good team this year, a heck of a team. But you want to say to the Padres, fellas, you can do much better than this. Come on now. And I know they're trying, but just by the look of them walking to the plate or coming off the field, I could see it, and my son could see it, and everyone there could see it, and you would have seen it too. They just weren't, well... Didn't seem they were there to play. And uh, you know what, by the way? And it didn't matter. I could say I, I, I like them, and I, I could say, well, the Padres didn't have a good day. But you know who had a good day? The Marines. The Marines had a good day. And I'll tell you where it, where it ended for me. We came up to the seventh inning stretch, and my, my kid and I had just about had it. You know, that was... Well, we drove down from Los Angeles, and I didn't even have to list things. It was time or it was about 7 o'clock at night now, and time to go. We just say, it's time to go. So I texted my other son, my son the Marine, and I said he was up in the section there with the, with the other Marines, and I said, you know, we'd love to see you. Can you come down here? And uh, we're about to head out anyway, and uh, he did. He came down with a handful of his friends and I knew them, and my other son knew them because they had stayed at our house. Well, it's been four or five times now. 
They're from other places in the country, of course, Iowa and Montana and Maryland, and they weren't going to go home on whatever the holiday was, but they could come to our home and they could play here with both boys. And uh, they'd always play some wild games. It's not hard to imagine. They're Marines, for goodness sake. They're going to be tough games. All right, let's, let's do blind chicken fights. Fine. It's a terrific idea. But you know what? I have a rule. I always say to them, I, I said, do you, do you remember the rule now? Rule number one, there's only one rule. No death. Okay? And they kind of chuckled. And I said, but you know what I mean? Yes, that's funny, but no death. You're not allowed to die. Don't kill anyone and don't die yourself. Is anyone dead yet? Good. No death for the whole afternoon. Now you can play blind chicken fights if you want, and good luck to you. And my wife, by the way, <laughs> I think I might have mentioned this in another story. She said to one of them, God, this is a big guy, this guy, Sackett, great guy. And he's from he's a, from a farm in Iowa. And this guy, you look at him and you say, oh, geez, this guy could just pick up an ox. He's He's huge, but really muscled, and just a good-looking young kid. And she said to him, do me a favor, get uh, get a couple of your friends. I want to move that couch in the living room uh, into one of the other uh, rooms, uh, if you don't mind. And he said, no, no, ma'am. By the way, it's all ma'am and Mrs. Miller. They're very polite. And she uh, just turned back into the kitchen to start, keep cutting up the onions for the stew or something that she was making. And... She just turned around again. This guy, instead of bothering his friends who were watching a ball game, this guy moved the couch. He picked up the couch. Now, by the way, he wasn't it wasn't boasting. He wasn't doing that to show off. But he figured, well, why annoy them? Well, it's just a couch. I'll pick it up. And he did. And he's walking with the couch, which is shocking. It was like seeing the stadium walking out of the hotel. He's carrying a couch. And, uh, you know, she just looked at him with her mouth open. And he smiled at her and said, yes, ma'am, I'll move it into this room over there, right? And the, the first room, she, she just kind of nodded and said, yeah, yeah. She couldn't believe he had lifted the couch. Well, you know what, though? They're a wonderful group. And uh, I, I, I couldn't tell you how nice it was that he, my son came down, the Marine with them, and we all shook hands. And, well, the three of us hugged, and we took a few pictures and sent them to my wife, and she loved seeing it. And then we hugged again and said, all right, go back to your seats, and, you know, we'll see. I'll speak to you later. Just seeing him like that was was enough. What a treasure that was. And my younger son and I, we strolled out of the stadium. Now, remember, it's the seventh-inning stretch. And they sang two songs, one of the Marines— led them on God Bless America from the field, and then they all sang Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And that's everyone. I was, you know, you'd sing, I'd sing. and uh, But folks, I'm here to tell you, sometimes things get to you. We could hear it over the loudspeaker, and everyone in the stadium was singing God Bless America. And it might sound a little corny to you, but it's a beautiful song anyway. It's gorgeous. And the lyrics are, good Lord, what wonderful words. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America, my home sweet home. And you know what? 
folks, and then into Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And I'm not ashamed to tell you, my eyes were dripping. I took my hanky out. And as we're walking out of the stadium, I was so touched. Come on. Now, if you're looking for something, what's the definition of things that are American? What could be more American for crying out loud than we drive down to San Diego to see my son, a Marine, hold the American flag. We see opening day with a great couple of teams and the Jets fly overhead and we sing God Bless America and take me out to the ball game. I don't know how you get more than that. I mean, if that's what you're looking for, and that's what we're looking for. You know, that what's proof? What defines things? What supports things? That does. And to have that lady come out and tell you, well, we're out of sausages and hot dogs right now, go out of her way to do that. And as we were strolling out and right onto the block where the hotel is, which is so short away, it was only... Again, it's half a block away, and we're still singing, and I, my eyes were full, and I said, holy mackerel, that's, that's a beautiful day. We went up to the room, and, well, we were going to go grab a bite eventually, but we, we were just, you know, uh, low on energy. Well, we had done so much, and uh, he laid himself down on his bed, with the, uh, he was playing the uh, computer game Kill Everyone, and uh, that's his favorite game. And I uh, just laid down on the bed too, and I sent my wife a couple of texts and didn't turn on the TV. You know, we all watch too much TV anyway. But then I turned it on to watch the game again because it was still going on. Now it was 8 nothing, 11 nothing, 15 nothing. And all right, you just. At that point, I didn't want to see them that unhappy, so I said, holy mackerel, that's enough. And I spoke to my first son on a couple of texts. This is now around 8.30. And I said, uh, you know, if you were free, I'd say to you, I know you have to go back to the base there on the bus. And uh, I said, if you were free, I'd say, let's go grab a bite together. And he said, you know what, I am free. He went back, he was already back at the base. And he has a car back there. So he just he took off his uniform, threw on some regular clothes, and came back to us, which is about 20 minutes or 25 minutes away, came to the hotel, parked the car, and came up to the room. And, well, I went down to the lobby to get him. But the point is, as soon as the three of us were in the room there, we hugged again, and we went out to get a bite. Now it's 9.30 or 10, but all the restaurants are closed. It's not a late city for that. So they're not serving food in this place, that place. We had a nice stroll for a half hour or so, but once it gets close to 10, that's it for food. So we said, let's just go back to the room and maybe maybe they'll have some room service or something. And they did. We went back to the room and the room service was open till midnight. And we just got a couple of simple things, whatever the boys wanted. And I got a salad or something. And the point is, I looked at them eating and uh, I was eating too with I said, you know, fellas, this cannot be beaten right now. The three of us in a hotel room after this day, and we're all together, and we could send Mommy the, the, the photos of you, and here we are having a bite of room service in a nice hotel. Come on. 
You can't beat this. And that's American to me. And you know what? Maybe the Padres will have another good game. And here's the thing. After the room service, uh, my older boy said, you know what? I think it's uh, time I headed back to the base. And I said, uh, yeah, absolutely. And he headed out and uh, walked back to his car. And I, he, I said, do me a favor. Text me when you get back in. And he did. He said, I'm fine here. And you know what? I didn't know this. But one of our friends, a parent of their friends from elementary school, died the day before. His name is Peter Chernak. God bless him. And he's a good man. He was always an affectionate, smiling man. And we liked that family. And uh, his uh, oldest daughter was a friend of mine, or rather my kids. And uh, we went over there for dinner a couple of times. But the point is, his funeral was Tuesday morning. And I couldn't go. Uh, we were going to stay in uh, in the hotel that night. And I knew, I said, you know, we could go home. At that point, it's around, well, 11.30 or 12. But that gets a little stupid. That's a little bit of a long drive. So you know what? At that hour. So uh, we had a good night's sleep instead. But my older boy, when he went back to his base, he drove to the funeral. He brought his uniform and he stayed and he just brought a couple of things. And he drove back home here and back back to where, well, he grew up, our house, our home. And he went to the funeral with my wife. And I said, how do you like that? What a good boy you are. What a great young man to do a thing like that. And he was touched by the man's passing. And so was I. He should be. He was a good man. God bless him. But you know what, folks? That's another thing. How can you list all those things and say, that's not a good day in our country? You can't. And when I got back home here Tuesday... That's when I went to see my chiropractor. My younger son was 17, drove home all the way. And when I got back home, and he did a great job, by the way. And when I got back, we got back to the house here. We went upstairs and I unpacked and just washed my hands and face, didn't even jump in the shower. That's when I drove to see my chiropractor, who did a great job. He's great. He knows everything just by looking at you. And he un uncrinks you here and there. And driving home, I felt so good. That's when I stopped at Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles. That's right. And I passed it. I thought I'd like a bite. I could get something at the house or just go to Ralph's or supermarket and get things there for the house. But I passed. I was on Sunset, heading west, and I was coming up to Gower. And it hit me in the head. Wait a minute. That's where Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles is. And I just made the turn onto Gower, and it's right there. And there was a parking spot right in front. Come on! Come on! And I pulled into the parking spot. And you know what? I went in there. I was only going to have a piece, because come on, you just have a... I just wanted a piece of their chicken, of their astonishing fried chicken. And a piece. I'm not going to get all the other side dishes there. Just a piece, and it was, bah, this time it's 3.30 or 4, and it wasn't crowded. There were a lot of people there, but it wasn't jammed. 
and plenty of empty tables there, and I just sat down, and folks were very nice. They said hello, and the waitress came over, and I just uh, glanced at the menu, and I just thought, well, you know what? As, as long as I'm here, I get, I'll get the little bowl of grits there that they they always make with the chicken. I like grits. I love grits. They do a good job on everything there. It's Roscoe's. Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles. I didn't want to get the waffle. I didn't want to go crazy. But they had one dish called Dr. Somethings or other. You know, they had the good names. I just said, I'll, let me have the uh, Dr. Hubbin Bubbin, whatever his name was. C here. It's letter C. Give me, give me that one. That was half a chicken. And they give you the grits in a little bowl on the side. It's on the plate, but on the side. And uh, the waitress said, uh, now for the gravy, you, don't want it, you want it on the chicken and uh, or on the side in a bowl. And I was, you know, I was saying, well, you know what? I don't really need the, wait, what? You put it on the side? Yes. Oh, I don't have it on the, on the side. Yeah. And the gravy on the side and the grits on the side. And uh, and she said, no, for the, for the biscuit. And I said, I don't think, you know what? I don't need the biscuit because uh, I'm on a diet. I know you don't normally think of Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles for a diet. But you know what? And instead of a soda, I got a big glass of ice water, and they bring you a couple of slices of lemon. Thick slices, big slices. That's a good idea, because you squeeze those, you put them in there, and that tastes great. And folks, I'm here to tell you, I talked with a bunch of people there. A guy came in with his girlfriend, and uh, she was pregnant. And he had something nice to say about what he and his mom thought of me. And I was very touched. And I said, good for you. And he said, you know, God bless you. And uh, I said, that's awfully nice. You too. And at that point, heck, I was going to buy everyone a T-shirt they have there. But I said, how nice to stop at Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles and get that chicken. Well, did I just have one piece and run out? No. I had four pieces, half a chicken with grits, and the grits were delicious. And sure enough, I dipped a bunch of those chicken parts in that gravy, and I had two big glasses of ice water with lemon squeezed into it. Folks, it was part of the whole trip to see my son with the flag. Do you not see that as part of an American day? Go to the chiropractor, straightens you all out. You're back home, stop at Roscoe's, go home, jump in the shower and wash the chicken off you. Come on! Come on! Who needs more than that? And, uh, whoops, our other dog Maggie just came into the studio, and you know what? She's right. It's time to go. She knows that, and I know it. And you and I know the same things. Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. Wave your own flag sometimes, and I hope you have a couple of days like me. And we'll see you here next time.